Hello listeners, I'm Zach. And I'm Valina. And we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to This House Was Never Meant to Be a Podcast. We're going to cover all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on. And today, we will be continuing Tales from the Dark Side with the episode, Chin No Chaser. Let me tell you folks right off the bat, this is one of the worst episodes by most fans of the series. It is considered the worst episode. Yeah, there's like one dude on IMDb that actually gives this like a 10 out of 10, but everyone else gives this below a 5 out of 10. Almost no one else gives it any kind of a good score. They all hate it. <laughs> and reasonably so, but we will we'll dig our talons into that when we get there. But... Let me just say, folks, how we describe this episode is leaps and bounds better than watching it. Because no matter how bad we make it sound, we're only giving you half the experience. The full experience would be to watch the episode and feel the excruciating pain that we had to go through to watch it. Yeah, the the main source of pain is literally from the camera just zooming in on the actor's face and it gets closer and closer and closer every time we have to go back to this particular scene because the setup is that the story is being told by this man who's in a, a mental institution. And he's, like, got a straight jacket on. And, like, hair, like, shower caps for socks. Yeah, he's got, like, he's just really, like, tied down. He's, like, hardly allowed to move at all. But he's telling us this story. But the camera is unnecessarily zoomed in onto his face. Every hair follicle on his face you can see in detail from how close the camera is on his face. Yeah, and you are and he is talking to you. And which is he, also gross. And he is <laughs> yes. It's so uncomfortable. And he's talking to us the viewers as though we're the doctor and it's just so wildly uncomfortable and no one is speaking to him. He is re- reacting to us as though we are answering his questions or just talking to him in general. But nothing is being said, and it is so weird and so uncomfortable. And for some reason, it just keeps zooming in. Like, it's, it should stop at some point, but it doesn't. It just keeps zooming in, and it's just horrible. It, it, I mean, I'm one of those people who are, and I, I'm pretty sure you're, you're like that too, where if someone is staring directly into the camera and addressing someone who is the camera or behind the camera, it creeps me out quite a bit especially if there's nobody talking because it makes it feel like they're peering through the fourth wall and looking at me and it makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. And And this episode triggers that (laughs) very badly. Yes. And it's made it like infinitely worse by the fact that this guy has this like manic energy. He, it's like, he's honestly talking to a camera, like just nothing that can react back to him. And he's trying to make up for the lack of energy he's getting by providing like, so much of his own. I mean, it does make him look like, oh yeah, he probably does belong in this mental institution wearing a straight jacket. <laughs> but the way the story goes is that you're not necessarily supposed to think he belongs there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's... It, <sighs> it's poorly handled. <laughs> oh yeah, it just doesn't work on any level. And they're trying to make him seem like he's really funny. If you think of uh, Hades from Her- the Disney Hercules uh, movie, you get that kind of oh fast-talking, kind of wisecracking guy. But... 
it's like he's trying to be that, but like a good guy, mm-hmm. but he's not funny. I mean, his lines by themselves are kind of funny, but it's so obnoxious to be delivered in that uncomfortable manner that it sucks uh-huh. all the humor right out. <laughs> so so certain lines that, that should maybe be funny, maybe by themselves, they're, they're thrown at you in such rapid succession without any real... I mean, with just so much discomfort having to watch it that it's just not funny. Yeah, that- it's like there are good lines that are delivered so poorly. Like if you were to put fine china and have it delivered to your house by a guy who can't stop tripping. <laughs> that is basically how it is. It's just yeah. so poorly delivered, but you can look at what they're trying to deliver, take the delivery out of it. And think, well, that's a good line. Yeah, I could have laughed at that if it was delivered better. Yeah, you could open the box and then pull, pull, pull out, like, a shard of the china that you bought. This used to be good. Wow, that was kind of nice. <laughs> I just wish it wasn't so, like, you know, broken and horrible now. I'm so glad I, I wasted my time and money with this, you know. <laughs> but, oh, gosh. And we we, we, we kind of just jumped into it. Yeah. But, yeah, that's. We I have mean, some. We have some interesting people in this episode. Yes, we have. Okay, so our main character, the one whose face we get to see uncomfortably close, mm-hmm. uh, his name is Daniel Squires or Danny, and he's played by Charles Levin, who's done a lot of TV shows that I've not watched. He's played Mr. Shuster in Law and Order and ADA Mari in NYPD Blue. And he's played in, like, other movies, too. I I guess he was in Seinfeld as someone named Mohel. That's such a weird name. Yeah, I don't know. I've not watched really any of those. I think I watched Seinfeld when I was, like, little, 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 and I wouldn't even have recognized him anyway. Yeah, Um, I could barely recognize anyone from Seinfeld, even though I've watched episodes way later than you did. (laughs) I couldn't tell you who any of them are. I know one of the actors has been, like, one of them in Seinfeld has been in things I've seen before, but I still can't can't remember his name. And he's in things that I care about more than Seinfeld. (laughs) And then we have his wife, Connie who's played by Colleen Camp. And you might actually recognize her as the maid Yvette. Yvette. Yeah, Yvette from the movie Clue. Oh, such a movie. movie. uh, Yeah, it's so good. It's like a million endings as uh, Tim Curry in it. It's it's such a funny movie. But it's a million endings in a good way. Yes. (laughs) And she also played, and I didn't watch this movie, but I've heard good things about it, um, Mrs. Hatchet in the movie The House with a Clock in Its Walls, starring Jack Black. So she's, she's been in some things. And, of course, the titular Jin is played by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's an ex-NBA basketball player. He used mm. to play with the Milwaukee Bucks and, of course, the L.A. Lakers. Hmm. Uh, and probably around the time of this episode, he would have been with the Lakers. Because this episode aired in 1985, and he, he uh, played for the Lakers between 1975 and 1989. Dang. Heck yeah. And, of course, he was in other things as well. He's not, like, formally trained as an actor, but he's played in other things uh, a little bit. He played an airline pilot in the movie Airplane, um, huh. who ha- who I think his name was actually ex- identical to his real name. <laughs> uh, and he also played the very... Fu- he basically played the final boss that Bruce Lee had a fight in Game of Death, which is a 1978 movie. Hmm. And it's kind of interesting, his role in that, is that they each had a different style of kung fu or Mm -hmm. um, a martial art that they used against Bruce Lee and he had to fight each one as he went up the levels of the pagoda. Hmm. And he's the guardian of the Temple of the Unknown. And his style 
well, of course, was the unknown style, but it was it was a style that mirrored Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do. And that's kind of funny because apparently, or at least according to Wikipedia on the Game of Death page, it actually mentions that Kareem was the student of Bruce Lee. So hmm. it sort of makes sense that the style that that guardian would have would be Jeet Kune Do because that'd be the style he'd be most used to using. Mm-hmm. And also, um, there's a there's a merchant who shows up. His name was Mahandas Makar. He's played by Nate S. Formis, who mm. played in things. <laughs> and like like Charles did, Levin, did he have these a picture are things on I don't IM- know. Did he have a picture on IMDb? <laughs> yes, he did. So he's, oh. He's, <laughs> I will have to say at least one thing he was in. For example, Baywatch uh, in 1991. He's name was Fernando. He was also in the TV show The Wild Wild West, not the Will Smith movie, which I watched forever ago. And I can remember there was a giant spider in it, a mm? uh, giant metal spider. He was not in that one. I don't know who he played because there's only four characters listed and two of them are henchmen. Listed only as henchmen. So I don't know if his role was very important in so, that. So this but... is a shining highlight of his career. This is the top of his demo reel. I just don't know what any of these things are. It's so hard to pick good examples. Like this, I could pick anything. Like maybe back in the day was like the top tier movie, but I wouldn't even know because I've not watched it. So I can only go off of what I do know. So the Wild Wild West and Baywatch. And thankfully, due to this episode, all we know now is pain. Yes. And unfortunately, we're going to have to get into this episode. Yes, we can't can't just just beat around the bush the here. We got to rip off this band-aid. <laughs> yeah, spending a nice 10 minutes talking about anything but Jin no Chaser. <laughs> but oh, we got to face the music. Oh, one more thing that's <laughs> supremely important and I cannot believe I didn't mention it sooner. This is actually important, y'all. Okay, this story, Jin no Chaser, was not j- just invented by Tales from the Dark Side. It was a short story with the same name written by Harlan Ellison. And if you do not know him by his name, then you almost certainly know him by one of the short stories he's written that you've either either read and were scarred by like myself or you've heard of or maybe you've heard of the video game that it spawned. And that is the short story I have no mouth and I must scream. Oh yeah. He wrote that. Harlan Ellison wrote that story. Like, that scarred me for freaking life. That was the most disturbing story I had read as, like, a little teenager. Even when I read some of the other horror stories, this one really got to me. And he also wrote this hideous monster of a story that was not fun in any way. This this one's scary for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. The story itself... I mean, as the way he's written it, as opposed to how it appears through the teleplay that we we see enacted on the screen, it's different from that. So I'm going to at least give him the credit that those absolutely hideous moments in the mental hospital are completely absent from the story. And I don't know how well the humor really hits. It does try to be humorous, but... I don't know. It just isn't really all that funny to me, the short story. I will say this. At the very least, the pace is not an issue when you read it. Because you can read that as slow as you want. Yeah. we When we first watched this episode, without having read the story, 
we straight up assumed, oh, it must be adapted directly word for word. The reason they have him talking to us from the mental hospital is because... This must be like a second person perspective. Yeah, it must be. It must be a first person well, perspective. Well, I was gonna saying second story because you are a person in the no, no, no. Story That's that when you're, you're saying told. you. Second, second person is you did this. You did that. He's a. This is a first person's perspective, but he is in fact talking to you, right? right? So it's basically him saying these things to us. And a lot of first person stories are like that. If it mm-hmm. begins with like an explanation or like it's a letter, like Frankenstein, I'm writing this letter to so and so, but you can read it as I mean the recipient, right? Yeah. But this is not that at all. It's written in third person the entire time, and we we were giving the teleplay. So much more... Credit. Like, not even credit. We were trying to give it an excuse for sucking so badly. You know, (laughs) we were basically saying, oh, the reason why they would have thought to do something so hideously uncomfortable is that they must be really hardcore sticking to the way the book was to really horrible effect. Nope. They actually said, you know what would be really cool? If we took this this story i made it hideously uncomfortable by having some dude's face talk to you the viewer constantly while zooming in yeah it feels like a first person perspective of like a dentist working on a patient where they're just up in there you know mm, and you can't respond <laughs> and they're pretending like you can it it's so awful i i couldn't even believe that the short story didn't have that like the only reason i would have possibly thought that this story just didn't suck as badly as I did is this excuse that I pretended it had and it didn't have that after all and that was very disappointing I mean otherwise the story is almost exactly the same there's bits here and there well, some lines straight up lifted out of the book yeah yeah like a lot of dialogue is straight up listed lifted and um, although I noticed one kind of nasty word was changed I don't know if you noticed but there's a, I'm not going to repeat the word it is a supposedly valid English word, but it's used in the book. It's one of those words that's basically a a racial slur that isn't a racial slur, but it kind of is. Now, I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to use this word. It's just a horrible word to say, but I I guess, I don't know. It was like written in like the set, like 1979 or something. So I don't, I don't know why he would have used that word. Uh, I mean, he did. I, I don't like that word at all. And they utterly cut that out from the TV show. Thankfully. Yeah, and there was also some more swearing in the book, which is not present in the episode. Yeah. So it was probably cut for similar reasons. Mm-hmm. So the the short story, I mean, is otherwise pretty identical. Like, there's a scene near the end we'll get to that they change quite a bit thanks to the framing. Because the fact that he starts in the mental institution and is telling you the story. And, you know, keep in mind, the reason we hate the whole segment where he's talking to you from the uh, mental hospital is that it keeps returning to it. Like, every... Frequently. Yeah, the the action of the story is almost always interrupted, like, what, every five minutes with him talking to you. And it's it's really pointless. Like, you do not need his narration, but they give it to you anyway because they... We thought it was because... uh, Oh, these lines are so great. If we cut out the narrator's thoughts, we're going to miss these great lines. We should keep them in by having him in the uh, mental institution talking to us. Nope. That was completely made up. They just made up all those quote-unquote funny lines so they can throw more jokes at us. Oh my gosh, it's so obnoxious. Okay, you know what? Let the band-aid ripping commence. Yeah, let's just dive into it. The episode opens... On our main character, Danny, uh, was it Squires? Squires? 
Danny Squires wearing shower caps on his feet. And you just got the immediate image just right away that this is going to be a great episode. (laughs) And while accompanying his hairnet socks, he is also humming a tone-deaf tune that sounds like he had no clue what he was thinking when he was humming. It, it, it clearly sounds like he's humming to be annoying. Like, he's not humming because, oh, I got the song stuck in my head. It's like, oh, how do I just seem really annoying right off the bat? Let me just hum <laughs> off tune just and be hideously annoying about it. Yeah. And we get other peaks at, like, parts, like a straight jacket and whatnot, just to establish he's crazy. And we slowly, finally turn around and we get the dreaded camera angle of looking directly at our main character. And this is where you know that they really enjoyed this because they must have sat this dude down for hours and just let him talk and talk and talk. Probably all in one take, really. And he sits there and he starts talking about his accommodations at the ward. And so he's like, oh, you know, I'm not complaining. I mean, I don't want to be an ingrate, you know. My padded cell is all but comfortable. And I I just kind of wish that, you know, I could just, I could have my arms free, you know, because I'm an excitable guy, you know. I like like to talk and I like to to use my hands when I talk, you know. And he repeats... A lot of words in within the same sentence. I mean, yes. not that we d- we don't do that, but <laughs> uh, what are we calling him crazy for? We do the same thing. <laughs> but it's a little obnoxious. I mean, I guess when you're that close to someone's face, everything they do is like extra obnoxious. Oh my god, yeah. But it's like I feel like he was saying the same words like again and again. Like I'm kind of an excitable kind of a guy, you know, kind of. It's like, oh my god, stop it. So obviously, the psychiatrist doesn't let him free his arms like oh okay, look, i can I, I can keep my arms on my back i mean that's fine too i mean it's i mean i can scratch both i can scratch my back at the, with both my hands at the same time <laughs> where was i all right and i'm i kid you not that is like literally the speed of which he shifts gears and emotion and it just reminds me of that clip from like charles manson just <laughs> <laughs> that clip is exactly how fast oh or the gosh. Danny yeah, his, keeps changing his face. Yeah, his expressions just go all over the With place. With the same amount of stimulus to change those faces, too. Yeah, yeah, and considering that he's, like, quote-unquote talking to us, there are no pauses that even indicate or pretend that we're responding to him. He's yeah. just, I mean, going without even a couple of seconds between each word. <laughs> This it's, is this is what they mean by talking a mile a minute. Yeah. It is nonstop just words shooting out of his mouth like a broken faucet just spraying everywhere. And it it is relentless and you feel it. Yeah, cuz it's so And when it, when so he's when he's so face. close to your face, you just you just you just smell what he ate. You mean you can feel the spit hitting your face with how close <laughs> exactly. you are to him. Just the ocean mist just it's, it's not fun. But he finally starts talking about why he's there. Kind of. And he talks about how this all started. And he says that he was going with his wife to go furniture shopping. And they decided for some reason to go into this really seedy alleyway type of area where there's just like, I want to say it's a fort of homeless people and an empty lot where there's just two homeless people just standing next to a, or sitting next to a empty lot and they just have their grocery carts full of stuff. But there's like two of them on 
both ends. So it just seems they're like a pair of gargoyles guarding a gate. Uh, it might even be intentional. Yeah, and they're they're talking about the fact that they just got married four days ago. And I just want to mention this off the bat. Having heard a little bit of the book that this is based on, I did not get the impression that these were 30-somethings. Based off of what I was hearing in the book and how they talked and the idea that they were married four days ago, I got the idea that they were, like, young lovers. So I thought, eh, they're probably, like mid early 20s somewhere around there but no. they look like they're they're like <laughs> college professors like they're like in that age range yeah, like the dude straight up looks like Mr. Fantastic <laughs> I have to, I haven't even seen that movie in forever <laughs> I mean like Mr. Fantastic more from the comics and uh whatnot but he's he's got that look that just tells you he's that high school, like high school teacher type of look, you know. Oh my gosh, you know who he looks like? What? Uh, do you remember the Santa Claus, um, the wife's new husband? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is exactly what he looks like. Oh my god. Yeah, those sweaters. <laughs> that is what that oh dude looks like. Oh my god. Yeah, definitely. And like. They're, they're just bantering back and forth, and that's, like, the best way to describe it. It's just banter. It's just words put in a kind of hard-hitting kind of way. Like, for humor-wise, it's like, oh, no, 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 type of just conversation, just but constantly. I do want to mention that the conversation couldn't even be less realistic. Oh, my god! Like, two normal human beings do not converse like this. Definitely. It's... It reads so badly as scripted. Yes. It's it's the writers trying so hard to be funny with this dialogue, but it is not funny because it's so unnatural. Exactly. Yeah, and there's no natural flow to it. Comedy it, works best when it's quick, but it needs to come out naturally because if it doesn't come out naturally, it doesn't read as wit, mm-hmm. right? It reads as I am saying these lines fast. Although it can work that way, like it really depends. Like I don't know, I know all of you have seen the play version of Animal Crackers, <laughs> and that one does that pretty well. It has really quick, witty humor. I mean, but thrown at you, and it just flies through. You can watch that play like a million times and never catch all the jokes, mm-hmm. or of course catch brand new ones every time. And it does that pretty well because the actual dialogue itself. I mean, it's clearly meant to all be jokes, but it's delivered in a very natural, like, way. Because these guys are are funny guys, so it comes mm-hmm. out of them naturally. Like, if you know someone who's, like, a class clown or someone who's just funny, they can say jokes naturally. And keep in mind, this also is helped by the fact that there's always a straight man within the scene. Mm-hmm. So, whenever there's something ridiculous happening, we have a sense of normality to go with it mm-hmm. to exemplify how weird it is. Yes. When everybody's talking a mile a minute and everyone's the funny man... There is no sense of normality, and it just comes flowing over you and just right past. Yes, and I got a good example of how bizarre and unnatural their dialogue is. Uh, so for, so as we move a little bit further into the plot, uh, I say quote-unquote plot, the things that are vis- <laughs> visibly happening on screen, the pair go into the seedy alleyway, and a tent appears out of nowhere. And, and let me just say, this is like industrial lights and magic levels of just film magic 
one frame it's not there. The next frame it is. <laughs> yes, and the two notice it. <laughs> And they look at each other, and they they go on to have this conversation, and I've written it down so we can try to read it, so you can hear just how bizarre this this is. And I want to say, this is happening in, like, real time on screen. They are actually having this as a conversation with one another. Mm -hmm. (sighs) So here that goes. Wasn't that an empty lot just a few seconds ago? Empty? Weeds? Garbage? I suppose we made a visual error. We were talking. We simply didn't notice the tent. The tent? The word unnatural comes to mind. Nervously, they approached the tent. Probably not the smartest move we've ever made. Not even the second smartest move we've ever made. And that is exactly what they said. It's Ugh. not exactly how they said it, because we can't quite remember, but it it didn't sound like people having even a, a, a silly conversation with one another. It just mm. straight up sounded like they were third person narrating themselves without any real involvement in the situation. It sounded like an improv game where they're narrating someone else doing something. And <laughs> the the wife literally just saying nervously they approached the tent. They as in not we, which doesn't make any sense at all because they're the ones who are moving in. I mean, shouldn't she say we? And then he responds with we ever made. Mm -hmm. So the sense of perspective is changing in that within two lines. Yeah, it's- In a conversation to one another. Yeah, and this is the opening to seeing them in the real story happening outside of him telling us from the mental ward, right? Mm -hmm. So this is like the story as it unfolded and it's immediately off-putting because Mm -hmm. you're, you see this couple interacting in such a bizarre way. You're like, wait, what? It really, it really just puts you off. So can I just mention the fact that the shopkeeper dude who comes out of the tent manages to hang up signs on his tent by slapping the signs onto the tent walls? (laughs) And just rubbing them on there and they stick? <laughs> like... It's magic, Zaggy. Are they magnetic? Maybe. How is he pushing them against a tent wall? It was never explained, but I'm assuming magic. And I think magic is a good way to explain it. But he's not a genie. But his tent is magic. And actually, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a genuinely funny line. Yeah. Uh, when they enter the tent, Daniel actually asks him, Hey, wasn't this an empty lot a few seconds ago? And uh, the shopkeeper responds, Oh, I'm a merchant, not a real estate agent. And it's just such a funny response to that. Yeah. Uh, that was actually genuinely funny. The shopkeeper is actually one of the best parts of this episode. Yeah. And he's a quick blip in this. So <laughs> it's kind of sad. Uh-huh. And kind of funnily enough, the uh, the actual the short story, it's not a tent. It's actually it's a, a little building. I mean, it's small and dirty and is essentially described the same way. It's just not a tent. And for some reason, the shopkeeper does explain the weird magic behind it. It's like some sort of a weird temporal, spatial time portal thing that only allows him to go to places where fate is occurring or some sort of a weird thing. I actually like the episode's version of it better. I feel yeah. like that line is that such hand a hand-wavy, wavy, yeah. <laughs> like, ex- non-explanation that it's actually funny. Sometimes it's better to not explain something. Exactly, because in the end, all we know is that it's magic, and it doesn't really make a difference Don't need to confuse way. it with specifics. Yeah. So, they go into the tent, and there is a absolutely massive 
amount of old Arabic and Mesopotamian, Turkish, Turkish, according to them, type of, like, furniture and... What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Antiques? That kind of stuff? Yeah. Where, there's this, these are things that you would find in an antique store, and that's probably where they raided for the set. <laughs> <laughs> and so they start talking to the shopkeeper, and they're looking for some cheap furniture. And they, the, what's her name? Connie. Connie finds this old lamp. It's not a real, I mean, I guess it is a real it, lamp. It is an oil it's lamp, just... yeah. One of those weird lamps. Like, it's not... I mean, it's a genie lamp, right? So yeah. So we already know this is about gin, so it's a genie lamp. It's a, just a ginormous genie lamp. And she's like, oh, why don't we put it in the house? Why don't we set it on, like, the orange crate or something? Because that, that's what he described their furniture being earlier as, like, a single waterbed and orange crates. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, I don't want... I, we didn't come all this way to buy some lighting furniture. Or, <laughs> lighting equipment. And the shopkeeper's... He has something about trying to sell it for, like, what was it, like, 250s, some weird currency squabble or something like that? No, I think it, I think it was something that began with a B, but I do not know what it was. It, it was it was kind of pronounced oddly, too. Yeah, and the guy says, like, oh, we're all, we're fresh out of those. The, you know, what's his name? I got a, Daniel. Daniel. Daniel's like, we're fresh out of those. And he's like, oh, well, um, let me see. Um, and the shopkeeper pulls out a calculator and he says something like, given the current international exchange, pl- plus factoring in the fall of the Ottoman Empire, um, that should cost about $30. And he's like, yeah, you're a gourd freak. <laughs> he attempts to leave. And the shopkeeper is like, oh, I will cut my throat. I will slash my wrists and sell this to you for $30. And so they relentlessly go back and forth on pricing. And they do this this <clears throat> fun bit where they hurl ridiculous insults at each other that are very intended to be classical, like Alibaba and the 40 Thieves type of weird insults that are heavily associated with the Middle East with like, oh, and may yada yada blank, whatever, you know, like, oh, and may you, may your kids all need corrective lenses from sitting too close to the television and stuff like that. And that would, that would have probably been better if it was just like that. But then there's one that's like, oh, may a gangrene-ish May uh, 10,000 gangrene-ish camels sit in your couscous yeah and it's like is this racist is this this real life (laughs) i I feel like i i felt really uncomfortable during this and just sort of asked myself is this like a super racist portrayal of mid-easterner haggling with i mean an american so it just it just felt really uncomfortable like i don't know if they really do that or not but i don't know it felt really bizarre to me and i I don't know enough, you know. I mean, about... if it was me, if I was that Turkish dude, I'd have just thrown my shoe at him. I just, <laughs> I just would have done that. But of course, I mean, he is haggling with him. You know, I mean, he wants his money. Yeah. But, like at the same time, in in the in the context of the episode, it's supposed to be like I guess a fun little thing that they're. I mean, they're both kind of enjoying themselves. But I don't, you don't I need don't to know. insult is that, each other. Like, is that 
like what you do though or is this like a stereotype you know i just don't I'm gonna know lean towards the latter on just, this one i don't know like i said i don't know enough about that culture and i just feel vaguely uncomfortable for the not knowing you know yeah so what feels like an eternity later <laughs> they end up haggling the price down to like that's ten dollars ten dollars and then they finally buy it and then they start to leave and the shopkeeper is like oh but hey I got more in the back if you if you want to <laughs> if you want to buy them for the same price, <laughs> and then Danny's like, let's just go. And so they get up and they leave with the lamp, and then the shop just disappears the same way it came in and just gone. Yeah, and and the girl she tur- almost turns around, but Danny notices it first and says, "Don't don't turn don't around. turn around. Just keep just walking. Second. We're gonna throw this tra- lamp in the trash and we're gonna have a Hawaiian dinner." And then that's where the the kind of cut happens. Yeah, we get back to the face. And and then it kind of goes forward in time a little bit where they're laying in bed and the wife is wanting to rub the lamp. Oh, you don't want to mention the like five minutes of having to talk or be talked at by uh, Danny, like as the camera just zooms mercilessly towards his nose. Okay, <laughs> so, so we get a uh, we get a little segment where he's talking about how how crazy it was, and oh, you know, I I would any any rational person would have thought it, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I don't it doesn't even feel like he had anything specific when he's saying like oh any rational person would have thought it, uh, I can't remember her name would have thought it, Bonnie. uh, Eleanor Roosevelt she would have thought it too, and I'm just thinking like wait thought what. What what was it that they were thinking? I, I did I miss that or was mm. was that not mentioned? Because yeah. that feels so very specific to mention. Yeah, we were. I was thinking you, you would have thought it too. Yeah, nothing that he says in these segments actually make a singular difference. Yeah, cutting them out would have just made this episode so much more pleasant because he doesn't add anything. But it wouldn't have gotten anywhere near the runtime. Well, they so do. They st- needed to stretch. They do stretch, stretch several scenes about longer than they need to be, particularly these ones. You see a taffy machine? You ever you ever see in a taffy machine? It's like a system of like three weird levers, and they constantly spin and they pull and stretch the taffy. I feel like the episode was put through one of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so after an, a painfully long time of being able to see every piece of food between his teeth. We go to the couple laying in bed, and it is a waterbed. I can actually verify that that is a waterbed. So they didn't just use a spring mattress and say, oh, it's a waterbed. It is legit a waterbed because they wibble and wobble whenever they move on it. And it's <laughs> that's something that you don't notice unless, of course, you've had a waterbed at least once. <laughs> I mean, you might notice that that's a weird way a bed is behaving. Because she's kind of moving up and down oddly. Like, what the yeah. heck is that? Like, why is she moving like that? It's it's, it's a lot of fun. So she wakes him up. He's like, Danny, are you sleeping? He's like, yes. Like, uh, how, why did you answer me? Because I was raised polite. And that is also one of the funny lines in this episode. But again, it's just sandwiched in by so much. Yeah, it would have been funny, funny stuff. had their dialogue not all been feeling like a specifically written joke exactly yeah so had they actually just allowed them to behave like normal people with jokes tossed in that might have actually been funny but because every single piece of dialogue is meant to be a fun you know a funny joke it comes out as unfunny yeah so she's like come on let's let's rub their lamp you know this is this has to be legit 
we bought this off of a magical guy in a magical tent, a magical parking lot. And for all we know, this is the same kind of situation where we would get an actual real genie. And he's like, you realize this is crazy, right? Like, this is insane. I just want to pretend like this didn't happen. And, but of course, that's all that statement. I, I just cut out the fluff, right? Mm-hmm. He says like a thousand different things in it. Yeah, unless we're actually reading a quote exactly as is, we're saying it pretty much the way a normal human being might yeah, say it. Yeah, we're paraphrasing it with sanity. Mm-hmm. So he says, like, no, I don't want to think about this. I don't want this to be real. I just want to pretend like none of this happened because the tent disappeared. And she's like, eh, I'm going to go rub the lamp. And he gets up and he's like, oh, I'm not going to stop you, but I'm not going to I'm not going to help you either. And And that cuts right to him again, because we weren't long enough without seeing his face real close. Yeah, I was beginning to forget what he looked like. Yeah. (laughs) And he he just uh, wants to tell us that when she rubs the lamp, it jumped out of her hands, which we just saw happen on screen. mm -hmm. But then we had to see his face two inches away from the camera telling us that same thing before we cut back to the events and the lamp has jumped across the room. And then a little bit of smoke starts coming out of it and little lights kind of flickering in there and you just hear the genie and we're going to finally get the genie in this episode after what feels like an eternity of looking at this dude's face again and again. And we get the voice from inside the lamp and it says, free at last! (laughs) And he stares like making and keep, and keep in mind he is supposed to be loud but it just sounds like a mild voice that's like trying to do a yell that doesn't want to be loud because they don't want to upset the neighbors and they're treating it like it's oh my god it's such a big booming voice or it's like oh free it's it's, it's literally just like free at last and it's treated like oh my gosh my ears type of type of loudness and it's just ridiculous yeah he really just sounds like a mild nice guy trying to be very loud and mean Mm -hmm. um but it doesn't really work (laughs) so he just starts causing a ruckus and starts knocking stuff off of shelves and whatnot and apparently danny's got a duck collection oh yeah so (laughs) And I think when we see the ducks falling from the shelves, it cuts once again to him in the ward saying, My beautiful duck collection. My magnificent mallards. Oh, vandalized. That kind of, uh-huh. <laughs> this kind of just a- whining at us. It's like, couldn't yeah. he have just been upset in the moment? We didn't mm-hmm. have to cut back. Yeah. They just do this to add like a couple of his thoughts to the scene. When we could have just easily just saw him in the scene. Because we are seeing him in the scene. So why couldn't we just get that then? But no, they want to keep interrupting the actual story with, I guess, the framing device. And it's it's so obnoxious. My gosh. So he continues to yell and whatnot, saying, uh, Oh, I'm, I'm in this lamp for 10,000 years and, and, and stuff. <laughs> So what ends up happening after the duck collection gets destroyed, Danny grabs a toaster and he leaves the room. And keep in mind, this toaster has got a ribbon on it. 
I don't know why the toaster has a ribbon on it. It was probably a gift from their wedding, and it it's they were married for so little amount of time, and it still got its gift wrapping on it. Yeah, he gets he he actually but, leaves like, the room because he gets mad at Connie because she's trying to she keeps the genie actually starts like yelling at her and calling her mean names. Like he called her like a. A harlot or no, something? No, no, it wasn't a harlot, believe it or not. <laughs> That's why, I mean, you would have thought. I think it was Harridan. He calls her a Harridan. I've never actually heard that word before, but I think eventually he calls her a harlot. He says these old-fashioned, like... Insults. I, I, yeah, towards women in particular. Harlot, I guess, Harridan, um, other things. But they're very old-timey, and they don't, I mean, they don't really ring as insults. It's like, oh, that's an insult you use towards women, I guess. But, you know, <laughs> they're not anything that would really hurt your feelings. So, you know what I mean? So it's like, okay. Uh, it doesn't hurt her feelings either. She really doesn't care. So she's trying to, like, figure the genie out, and she doesn't want Danny to make it mad because she's like, well, dang, this is still a genie in here. See, I was right there was a genie here, so all we got to do is figure out how to get him out of there, and he'll do our, our bidding and stuff. We'll and then, rich. Yeah, and then that, you know, Danny, after his duck collection dies, like, flees the room with his toaster. And he, like, gives a sorrowful look to his wife, and she is just sitting there on the waterbed with this lamp, and he just waddles into the other room and he like pours himself a glass of milk and he just stands by the window just staring out not longingly but just kind of sorrowfully just staring at some flashing green light yeah it's not even that outside the window i mean there might be something in the alleyway but like it is a brick wall (laughs) there it's not pressing against the window or anything but his view is clearly of the next building yeah so I don't even know where the light's coming from, but he's not Probably looking Probably coming at from some big old hotel sign on the side. So <laughs> he's standing there looking out into the alleyway, and she comes in with a lamp, and he tells her that the genie screaming, con- the constant yelling, is going to get them kicked out of the one apartment that they can afford. So she decides to kind of trick the genie into talking quietly. Yeah, she uses that kind of puss in boots reverse psychology on the genie, saying, oh, well, if you were really an all-powerful genie, you wouldn't have to yell to be heard. You could be able to speak real softly, and we would listen to you. So he, like, lowers his voice. Like, is this better? And Danny says, like, oh, but can you keep it down, though? And it's, I'm not really sure exactly what proceeds after that, but eventually Danny ends up making the genie angry at him again. I, they end up kind of fighting because the genie continuously treats Connie poorly. Even though he's lowered his voice, he still says mean things. He still says he's not going to do her bidding, blah, blah, blah. And Danny's like, well, I'm just going to toss you in the incinerator then. And he just grabs the lamp and he walks. I'm not really sure where the heck an apartment would actually keep an, an incinerator. But apparently that's where he's going. And that's when the genie really loses it. And starts screaming again. But we cut back to Danny, the institution, telling us all the horrible things that have happened. Oh, there's a frog rain. There's molten lava. There's this and that and that and this. Oh, and slime. He loves slime. Yeah. And and it's funny because the, the short story, it's actually horrible. Like, he turns... 
their apartment into a living hell. This is like what AM was doing to like the group of victims who was torturing and I have no mouth and I must scream, except it's used for comedic effect. And it, it is actually horrific. And of course the episode brushes over all that and just Makes has it all them, goofy. Yeah, it has them telling us to our face. We're just seeing the aftermath of it for the yeah, most part. Yeah, you know, he, he tells us this and then when we cut back, it's them in their utterly trashed apartment, which I find kind of funny just because he mentioned about losing the leaves but if if his landlord even like peeks through the door they'd be kicked out like right now because it, yeah. it looks like they caught the entire place on fire let it burn for a while and then just filled it with trash and garbage and plants and apparently dead dogs yeah and just horrific stuff and then let nickelodeon production studio come in and slime the place yes <laughs> uh but of course we don't really see, we don't see the dog i mean it's just mentioned by them but it it looks horrible, but of course we don't really see any of that stuff happening to them, like the book just gruesomely describes. Uh, yeah. Because basically, I mean, I'm not joking, they're like put through this living hell. The girl has like poison ivy for lips, like she's covered in these open gushing sores. <laughs> they're frequently eaten alive by rats. Like, I'm not joking, this is something AM would have been doing, but this is like for fun. And But, but it's all silly, it's all in good fun. Yeah, it's all in good fun. <laughs> Because uh, the, 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 I can't really tell if the actual short story is trying to be comedic. Like, there's certain parts that I think it actually kind of is. Particularly, you know, it probably is. Even though you have all this gruesome stuff, the fact that you have other silly things happening around it and them still basically getting by despite all this horrific stuff, it's probably intended to be funny. But again, the episode's clearly trying to be funny and miserably failing. So I guess that's a little bit worse. But they they look trashed themselves. I don't know what the girl's wearing. She looks like something you might expect a like a shipwreck person in Gilligan's Island to be wearing. It's just like this white sheet with a rope tying it, even though she would have had normal clothes at some point. While Daniel's wearing, I mean, what looks like normal clothes that are just ripped and torn and slightly burnt. So I don't know what happened to her. And she's just, like, sweeping the floor for no reason because this place is disgusting and no amount of cleaning it's going to make it better. But she's trying to clean it, and he's, like, hungry. Oh, I gotta go. Uh, we need food. And she's like, well, I'm cleaning. I can do it. And he's like, well, he gets really mad when I try. But either way, he goes and does it anyway. He goes and opens the door and tells <laughs> us, not, not, not in the mental ward, but, like, just, like, he opens the door, looks out, you hear an elephant noise, and... Or was it... Uh, tigers. Tigers. He has tigers and he slam, slams the door. Don't forget, he screams for like a solid two or three seconds before he comes back in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so she's like, okay, you tried. That's only fair that I try now. She opens it and... You hear birds chirping and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go out there again. And he goes out and you hear elephants. And he's like, how to get elephants on the third floor? And closes the door again. And that's kind of a ridiculous statement to begin with, just because it's like, well, the same magic. way he, used, he like, got slime and like and lightning rain and, and typhoons and everything else he described having happened. Like that's how. Like he didn't get him through the front door. Why would he even, <laughs> even say such a thing? He only said that because oh, it sounds funny. Oh, how'd you get an elephant on the fourth floor? <laughs> you know, imagine that. Ha ha ha. But it's like he used magic. That's not a logical statement, and it's also not funny. Uh, so the genie laughs. His it's very very canned laugh like you can tell they recorded this laugh once and they just loop it again and again and again every time he laughed it's like 
Literally, I kid you not, that is exactly how he laughs. And they do it again and again and again. And so he does his laugh, and he is trying to... Fi- the What's his name? Danny. Danny. Trying to figure out how to end this torment, right? And the genie tells him, Well, you could divorce your wife. I mean, she wanted the lamp, not you. So, I mean, if you if you bailed on her, you'd actually be able to get out of here. And he's like, oh, divorce. Wait, no, I, I'm not going to do that. She's like, the best thing that ever happened to me. And she's like, oh, that's sweet. It doesn't really help anything, though. <laughs> it's like, ouch. Uh, and so Danny is like, that, that's, wh- who was it they saw first? The first person he saw was his apparently abusive uncle. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's my mean uncle. And then he's like, oh, that's my second grade teacher. Put down the ruler. And, and she's like, oh, maybe you should go to the mental asylum or mental institution. And he's like, okay. And he- <laughs> But I do want to mention that this whole little scene plays out to where he could literally be faking it. And I almost feel like he is because he immediately, like, drops it to, like, leave. And it feels hacka fake. Like, he yeah. could clearly be saying, oh, I'm not going to leave you, honey. Ooh, I'm imagining all my bullies. And then kind of has an excuse for her to say, okay, well, you can just leave. Clearly, you've cracked. But it doesn't feel legit at all. I mean, I know, again, uh-huh. this is for comedy, but it does feel like he's faking it. And I don't think he is. Like, the book, he's clearly not faking it. He does, in fact, have a mental breakdown and starts just imagining all his, like, past boys tormenting him. But it doesn't feel like that. It just feels like he's faking it to get out. Um, so he packs his things, and he's in his ripped-up, outfit and they're playing the weirdest song it's this this weird kind of and stuff like that it's like that kind of style of song and he's holding his duck and he's got a suitcase and the duck's head just snaps and just kind of bends downward and you have that type of sound that accompanies it and he looks like a train wreck and he just leaves And she's just left alone with the lamp. Yeah, and she takes the lamp back to some clean spot to sit on. And and Anu tries to figure out a way to get him out of the lamp. Mm -hmm. So we come back to Danny in the psychiatric ward. And he's like... So that that's a story so far. It's it's crazy, you know. It's a it's a weird thing, and he brings up Eleanor Roosevelt again. And I don't quite remember the context for it. But oh, he's saying, oh, his wife is so great. She's super brave, the most brave person, like Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, I don't have a thing for Eleanor Roosevelt. Well, maybe I do. Blah 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 blah. Like he just doesn't stop talking. Like he <laughs> barely takes a breath. He's like, so can I leave now? Okay, cool. And he just leaves. Yeah, he just... Uh, they go out of their way to show him in a straight jacket to ensure to assure you that he's also in a padded cell. Like someone who is... I mean, straight, been 5150 and can no longer make choices for themselves. They don't put you in a straight jacket if they think you are good for your own health. And then uh-huh. he just waltzes right out. It's like, what? That's not how that works? Oh, gosh, I hate it so much. And he comes back to the apartment... And it's nice. It's a nice apartment now. They got, like, a, a parasol hanging over a, a hammock in the corner. And and it's, like, a nice wallpaper. Not wa- wallpaper. It's painted, like, a nice rich blue. It's got plants and whatnot in the house that are all fancy. And it's a really nice-looking apartment now. He's like, what happened? <laughs> She's like, hi, hon. Is, do you like it? It's, it's, it's better now. And... 
And he's like, she, she comes, she's like, oh, you came back. He's like, oh, what happened? I thought this place was a train wreck last I left it. <laughs> last time I was here, it was a train wreck. He tells her that he didn't win this battle, basically. But she did. And she basically responds with, like, oh, you, you've won battles that I wasn't able to win before, so I guess we're even. I, I guess, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> She basically makes it out to be like, oh, you could have totally left me and literally also divorced me to be at the uh, mercy of this horrible mean genie. But, like, you, you've come out on top in some situations, so this is just, it was just my turn to come out on top. And I'm thinking, nah. <laughs> Not at all. Like, he did start to be tortured to death. Like, no. <laughs> so, basically, Connie tells him that everything was provided by the genie. And he's like, huh. Okay. And then the genie is heard in the apartment and he begins to like, oh my God, I, I, I better not be here. I got to get back before bed check. So it's like, you snuck out? You were like, you were basically in solitary confinement. They don't just let people waltz out. And let alone sneak out. But he, he didn't even sneak out because he told the doctor who was us. He said he was going to leave and go back to his wife. So he had permission from the doctor, so he didn't sneak out. I mean, there's a slight implication they did. Oh, I gotta be back before bed check. But he did leave with permission of the doctor, at least full knowledge. So nothing about that portion really makes any sense. You'd think for how this episode was written, they would have been... They would have had a lot of experience with an insane asylum, you know? Just just saying. but maybe, but uh, just... (laughs) It's really nonsensical, and it's not funny. (laughs) So we hear the genie come into the room, and this dude is tall. Like, he's like seven foot, maybe even more. Yeah, just seeing him, you're like, oh, this dude's a basketball player. Even if you don't recognize him. He's like a lamppost of a person. (laughs) He's just absolutely towering. And... When I say towering, like, our main character comes less than sh- the, to the height of the genie's shoulder. No, they, like, straight up come up to, like, the bottom of his ribcage. Like, <laughs> they are very short compared to him. Yeah. I almost wonder if they chose short people just to make him look even taller. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, this dude's huge. He's actually seven foot two inches. Jeez, please. Yeah, so he's super super tall and 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 the other two are like really short compared to him i feel like i'm not really sure if he is as tall as he looks in the episode because they pretty much do come up to like his the bottom of his sternum at best and i don't i don't think that's fully two feet i feel like that looks like a whole three feet difference and i don't think he's that much taller than him unless they were both four feet tall which they are not so I think maybe they either tried to make him look taller or them look shorter, but uh, but he is actually really tall. So he walks in and he says, like, oh, I, was, I wasn't yelling at any of you guys. I was, I was upset because the tailors didn't know how to uh, sew a button onto my suit. And she's like, oh, I can fix that for you. And the Danny guy is like, oh, I can see how you had such a difficult time being stuck in that lamp. You know, it's like seven foot two. <laughs> so he's like, uh, I'm a little bit stiff because I had been trapped in this lamp for yeah a lot of time. And 
I'm also really tall. <laughs> and and Danny's like, so that means you're you're gonna be nice to us now? And he's like, yes, because I am not just folded up like a pretzel in a, in a, in a, <laughs> a tiny in a little lamp. Tiny little lamp. Yeah, that he mentions like, oh yeah, you know, of course I wouldn't be mean to you guys anymore. Uh, Connie's my friend now. I can't wait to extend that friendship to you. He's very nice now, uh, well-spoken. Uh-huh. He's not hurling insults. And he sits there with his tea and sits on the stool. And he's like, I've learned a lot about the Earth in uh, three days' time of what you humans measure by. Do you, like, know a lot about astrophysics and do you like jazz? Uh- <laughs> yeah, he actually says, you know, oh, do you like this and that? Do you like a lot of things? And but specifically he says... Do you like biochemistry? Do you know how close they are to being right about the jumping genes of the DNA molecule? And it's kind of funny because it implies that he actually has a lot of this knowledge about science. And I'm not really sure if he got it just from those three days of freedom he mentioned or if he always knew this because he does mention earlier at the very beginning um, why he couldn't come out of the lamp was that the sorcerer who tricked him in there and forced him in there didn't know much about molecular compression (laughs) and just the the term molecular compression makes you think okay he knows about science Mm. particularly for him being 10,000 years old or probably more than that molecular compression is simply not a word you would have ever heard back then so I don't know if his power as a genie allows him to have all this knowledge or not but what he says, do you know how close they are to being right about the jumping genes of the DNA molecule? Implies he actually knows what it is, what is correct, right? How close they are to being right. Does that mean he actually knows what is correct? Yeah. So that means he actually does have all his scientific knowledge. He just didn't want to share it with anyone. Just kept it to himself. <laughs> Which makes the ending extra silly. Yeah. So then Danny asks Connie... How did you do it? How did you manage to get him out of there? And she's like, well, magic does sometimes have to bow down to technology. And she shows him an object that's in a case and it's on a pillow, but you can't see it yet. And he's like, why didn't anyone think of this before? And the genie chimes in and he says... Like, oh, they didn't have these 10,000 years ago. And he's like, so it's just an everyday run-of-the-mill nickel-dime-penny-something can opener. And it shows the can opener. And I just want to mention this. The can opener they use is a model of can opener that requires a lip around the edge of the can to open a can. In the book, they don't describe what the can opener looks like, but there is a model of can opener that is a blade on a stick that was used very frequently earlier than later editions, where it's just like a blade on a stick that you could legitimately cut through metal with regardless of the shape of the object realistically i think that's the can opener the author was referring to because you can't open an oil lamp without like with with one of the can openers that required the lip because that's not a thing on an oil lamp but 
But they show the ones that require a lip on the can to open. So uh, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the sh- ending shot is looking into the glass case and on this silk purple pillow. That's is- not the end shots. The end shot is like, I don't know, like a small celebration. He's like, he says something about Connie, I guess. And then he like dips her and kisses her. And then it ends like that. Huh. Yeah. But uh, I guess that is where the episode ends. And the minute those credits roll, you can feel the air lift. The room got brighter. You could breathe. <laughs> so, Valina, tell me, what did you think of this episode? I feel like the majority of our episode is me expressing how much I dislike <laughs> Jin No Chaser. I do not think it is necessary for me to reiterate my feelings about it. Uh-huh. Oh, man, guys, this this episode, this is one that's going to test your mettle. This is, this is going to be the one that tests whether you're fully willing to continue through this show. Because this is like the first major bad episode of the series. Arguably the worst. I actually wouldn't even put it at the worst. But we have such gripes with other episodes and there are such small little pieces of enjoyment that are hidden in this episode that we don't feel like that's fully justified. Yeah, like there's, I mean, as much as I really, really, really dislike this episode, I mean, I guess I would, in fact, say I hate it. But Oh, I yeah, I'm not saying it's good at all. I certainly don't hate it as much as I hate other episodes. I don't know, man. Like, like I, I really, really hated Word Processor of the Gods. Uh-huh. This is worse to watch than that just because of how uncomfortable it is to look at his face for forever. Yeah. But I don't actually, you know, believe it or not, actively hate the main characters. Yeah. I find the main I find the parts with the the mental institution uh, those are unbearable. Uh-huh. But in the course of the episode, the characters are just they're they're obnoxious cartoon characters. Yeah. Uh, I do not necessarily hate them. They're just set in this bizarre, unfunny setting that's trying so desperately to be un- to be funny that it isn't. Mm-hmm. So I don't really blame them, and I really do like the wife character. Yeah. Like she's actually, I mean, besides the bizarre dialogue in the beginning, the most normal one. Yeah, definitely. And I don't really dislike the genie either. He's exceedingly mild, even when he's trying to be mean. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, I don't dislike him. He's just there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I only really dislike Danny when he's in the mental institution. When he's just in the actual story proper, he's just pathetic. Yeah. But it's not really the characters that I really have that big of a problem with. It's the actual setup of the episode. And just the entirety of the humor is horrible. It's funny. I'm basically trying to justify (laughs) giving this more stars than word processor (laughs) because i don't know at least this has a couple of jokes in there that are kind of funny and again i don't hate all the characters i actually even though the the premise is not horrible in word processors i i simply hate the main character Uh i i just hate him so much that it actually is just straight up painful to watch that whole episode i just hate it because of him 
and everything else is probably more or less okay in that episode, but I can't stand the main character and the fact that it ends the way it does with no knowledge of uh, acknowledgement of him being horrible, it, it feels a lot worse to watch. This... Yeah, it, it, to go back to that earlier comparison that I did with the delivery, mm-hmm. this episode, like I said, is fine China being delivered by a clumsy delivery man, whereas word processor is delivered competently, but the package is filled with trash. Yeah. So it's like, which is worse, right? Is do, Would you rather pick up the pieces of something that could have been great? Or would you rather just fully accept the fact that this is garbage? And I feel like with this episode, I can see where it could have been good. If it was just given different direction, it could have actually been funny. But... It's just mishandled. With Word Processor, there's a fundamental flaw with the story itself that prevents me from liking it. I feel like this is so sacrilege. We're saying... I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Harlan Ellison, I think, is also a master, so he shouldn't be, like, put down because Stephen King is, like, more well-known of a name. Yeah. No, the, the dude is really good. I'm just saying that this episode, had it been more faithful to the book, could have actually been really good. Or alternatively, you could use the same script and just give it better direction and make it flow and feel natural, and that could have helped it tremendously. I feel like I'm not really sure there was a, a, like a way that Tales from the Dark Side could have even had that whole torture sequence. <laughs> I, there's no way they could have even done that. I think the actual best thing was probably that narrator telling you what had happened. I think that's that might even be the reason they brought up the narrator to begin with, is to hide the fact that they straight up could not afford that. Yeah. I mean, or maybe just didn't even want to show it. I mean, that was some nasty stuff going on. Uh, again, likely played for comedic value. Again, you can always use, like, discretion shots. Like, something happening in the other room. And then they come in, and they're like, uh, these locusts were just biting me, or whatever. You can do stuff like that. True, but then you can never really return to being friends with the genie. Yeah. Because, I mean, after being tortured like that, do you think any of that group would ever say, oh, yeah, hey, AM, we fixed this, like, loose screw in your processor. We can all be friends now. Nope. You you tortured me for what felt like five billion years. Like, I'm never going to be friends with you. (laughs) You know, that's the thing. How I've come to hate. (laughs) You'll never, never match that level. And then then actually have, like, the the main characters be friends with their tormentor. But again... Stockholm Syndrome. You never know. It's played for a laugh sort of so i mean it still wouldn't feel right i mean them with like whole gushing wounds and stuff like i'm sorry i'm not friends with the gin never ever is that gonna happen i don't know so i feel like that was probably the smart choice but like they didn't have to have it erupting or (laughs) erupting (laughs) Erupting. (laughs) interrupting every five minutes it's so horrible yeah Um, it was it was mishandled with that definitely now I'm going to ask an important question about your own enjoyment of this episode. Do you think that the general masses are, uh, do you think they're justified in saying that this is the worst episode? No, they did not watch. (laughs) They didn't watch Love Hungry, so they are absolutely (laughs) wrong. (laughs) Spoiler alert for what I actually think the worst episode is. 
but uh, I mean, I, I can always change my mind, but... Yeah, we, we still have a long ways to go to get wrong. there. They're so much worse in this episode coming up. So I can, much I can say that very easily, actually. Rewatching the episode, I still dislike it greatly. I did not want to do this episode for the longest time because I did not want to have to rewatch the episode because of how uncomfortable that camera angle made me feel. But objectively, there are so many worse things in the series than just misfired comedy. And again, I know there's a lot of folks that'll say bad horror is funny, bad comedy is just awful. And they'd be right. And they would be right. <laughs> but they haven't gone to the depths that we have with the series and this series delves into. It is very difficult to say that any of that would be better or worse because there's just so much variety of awful that this series can conjure up. Yeah, this is like the diet worst episode. You know, yeah. it's pretty bad. This is a bracer yeah. for the worst episode. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. It's definitely a low point. It's absolutely not the worst. Definitely. Uh, there's just there's just so many episodes worse than this one, mm. and it's again this one. It's just a lot of unfunny jokes. It's trying so hard and it misses on. Like, all accounts. I mean, a couple of jokes are funny, but they're made so unfunny by having all these just not funny jokes around them. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, for crying out loud, at some point when Daniel's describing himself as a coward for leave- leaving his wife and deciding to come back, he says, what am I, chop liver? Like, what does that even mean? That is such, like, an old, old-fashioned old saying that I don't even know what it means anymore, and I'm not even sure it meant anything in the 80s. But it's such a, <laughs> uh, I guess, a, almost like a fake funny thing that someone would say. Like, what you make someone say to pretend they're funny. Yeah. yeah I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it, it just, just that line saps so much humor out of everything, but being so patently unfunny. <laughs> It's just, like, when you hear that, and it's like, oh, they're really just trying their hardest, aren't they? Just grabbing all that lowest hanging fruit. It's not even hanging anymore. It's on the ground rotting. And they're saying, this is still good. You just don't turn it so you don't see the gross part on the back. This is the low-hanging fruit they had to dig out of the ground. Mm -hmm. But, again, even with that said, there are so many worse episodes. Because at least, at least... We got enjoyment out of seeing the boom mic operator's arm. Oh my god. There is no enjoyment to be found with some episodes. And I'm just going to say it. This doesn't even rank among the bottom for me. Not the bottom bottom. This is at the bottom, but it's not the bottom. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't the worst. This isn't even close to the worst in comparison. But this is an awful episode. And this is one of the first really bad episodes. I mean... Word processor of the gods is worse in some ways, but the, they're they're both pretty bad, and they're both both really close in proximity. And uh, yeah, it's just not a good segment of the season, really. But at least, at the very least, we got a case of the stubborns to kind of prep us for this, to to give us something pleasant to look forward to before ripping the bandaid off. Yes, and unfortunately. We're actually following this up with another not good episode. That's why I wrote that. That said, the next episode has its enjoyable moments. Mm-hmm. Now, this is bad in an almost enjoyable way because it's so nonsensical. 
it's uh, convoluted. Yeah, that's a good that's a good word to describe it. It is super convoluted. Yes, and that would be all a clone by the telephone. <laughs> Does that mean anything to you? Whatever image that that title conjures up in your head, you're simply wrong. Yeah, that's not what it's about. It's what it I pretends can, I can to be about. I guarantee you, that's wrong. Whatever yeah. you're thinking, it tries to shoehorn that idea of a clone in, but. It's so hilariously off the mark. It's for a title only, really. Yeah, they just thought, oh, look, that sounds funny. And they just ran with it. And it doesn't even come close to what it was originally was. Anyhow, we don't get too far into that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to rate this episode two stars uh, because that's kind of what I originally... I originally had it two and a half to three stars because I wasn't <laughs> really sure. But I, I take back that half to one star and I give it two stars. It is a half star more than the word processor. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that's justified, but it is what I feel like giving it because I liked some of the characters in this. And to me, characters are extremely important because it gives me someone to root for. I rooted Uh for no one in word processor, and that honestly ruins it for me. In this one... I like the wife a lot. I can't stand the husband. I mean, he's not too he's not too horrible. He's just there. Yeah, it's just, just I can't there. stand those stupid scenes. It's just so obnoxious. And the genie is okay. He's there. But like, like I said, at least I like the wife. I thought she was cute. I oh yeah, she and the was shopkeeper smart. was pretty cool the too. The shopkeeper is pretty funny. So it has at least that going for it. So that's how I justify this episode having two stars. So Valina, what magical lamps would you have to rub to get in contact with us? Well, you don't have to rub any lamps, but you do need to rub uh, Google or Gmail if you want to email at us at thishousepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the magical place of Instagram where you can find us under the name of This House Podcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes. We love it. That is our one of our three wishes is for all of you to rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us out tremendously. It's like magic. That's all for tonight's episode. So, Herodans, before we pelt you with 10,000 angry baboons, get Get out out of our lamp! for my collection. I can't wait to rub it. As soon as they let me out of this straitjacket! <laughs> Poor Sap. He thinks genies really exist. Looney, eh? <laughs> genies! <laughs>